Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, I talk to the cast of the exciting new Netflix series, Vikings Valhalla. Mark Ryle reviews the Foo Fighters in their new film, Studio 666. Plus, singer-songwriter Emma Langford chats about her favourite movie. And your chance to win merchandise from Death on the Nile. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well in a very, let's be honest about it, depressing week for the world at large. But as I've said to you many times during COVID, our last crisis, you don't tune in here for that. You tune in for some escapism in the world of TV and movies. And indeed, that's what we will do for the next 45 minutes. And that's not to do any disservice to world events. You're here for a little break from all of that. So allow me to do that for you and begin with some TV. I hear drums. No. Shields. You have been summoned here to avenge the death of Vikings. Bring me England. It's not my blood. It is our blood. It is Viking blood. Yes, now oddly enough, I was I was talking about escapism, and and the TV show I'm talking about this week is very much war, uh, albeit a fictionalized one. That was a clip from Vikings. Valhalla, which is the new Netflix show which landed this very weekend on Friday. All episodes available to stream. It's, I guess, a sequel of sorts to the original Viking series, although you don't need to know anything about that because this is taking place a hundred years later and it was largely filmed in Ireland, much like Vikings as well. And it's a very diverse cast, which I'll get to you in a minute. It's set over a thousand years ago and it's the early 11th century. And it chronicles the, I suppose, heroic adventures of some of the most famous Vikings that ever lived. You have the legendary explorer Leif Erikson and his fiery, headstrong sister Frida and the ambitious Nordic prince Harald Sigurdsson. These were famous Vikings. By all accounts, I didn't know that much about them. Uh, And it's all about the tensions that existed between the Vikings and the English. And it kind of, their relationship reads a bloody breaking point and you could hear there from the clip the Vikings move to England to basically take on the English and within the Viking camp you also have tensions over growing Christianity and some people who are committed pagans and it's really epic and wildly entertaining I have to say it's not going to change your life but it's you know touch a game of the thrones maybe less politically involved although there's lots going on in it as well it's really gripping entertainment which I can highly recommend. Now it has 
a huge cast in it and, and a very interesting cast actors from all over the world I had a chat with a load of them uh, all fascinating people that I want to chat to you about now so first up you're going to hear Sam Corlett who plays Leif Erikson that I mentioned he was this Greenlander who was raised on the, I suppose, the outer fringes of the known world at the time. Leaf comes from a tight-knit family steeped in pagan beliefs, and he was an intrepid explorer and sailor and very tough. But he's thoughtful and quiet in this new Viking world. He's kind of at a loss as to know quite what's going on. He's played by the fine Australian actor, actor Sam Corlett. Now, in tandem with that... You're going to hear Leo Souter, the actor, who plays Harold Sigerson, who's the prince of Norway, and he's intent on becoming the king of Norway. Now, he's charismatic and handsome-looking guy, and uh, he's basically getting a gang of Vikings together to come to, well, I was going to say the UK, England. So here's my chat with Leo Souter, who plays Harold Sigerson, and Sam Corlett, who plays Leif Eriksson. Hi, guys. John Fardy from News Talk Radio in Ireland. How are you? On a too. Good, thanks. Uh, very good. We're off to a great start. Sam, if I can start with you, I, I was really surprised to hear that you're Australian. You sound incredibly Scandinavian and look incredibly of the time. Not that I remember what the 11th century was like, but it looked very good to me. Was it a, a big leap and a big challenge for you to become so different? Um, oh, each, each facet of the role that you get to uh, expand within to, like, it, it only contributes to, you know, get, d- deepening your connection with it. And so we worked with an amazing accent coach, Paul, um, and he really um, worked us in that. It was kind of based off the Icelandic accent because their mm-hmm. language presently is the closest to the Old Norse language. Okay. And so that was kind of uh, what we were imbuing our accents with. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been talking to other cast members and you mentioned the accent there and the level of research. It seems everyone went pretty deep researching all this. And Leo, I gather you read Beowulf as part of the preparation, which is no easy read. It's not an easy read. <laughs> I might not have read all of Beowulf, but I, yeah, I certainly read some of it. Okay. The Battle of Molden I did read as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, my dad used to, I think one of his party tricks wasn't very cool was to speak a bit of anglo-saxon so so he knew some of the poetry so so yeah okay but did you research your character a bit as well i I assume you did it seems everyone did yeah yeah big time one of the interesting things for my character is that historically he was actually around a little bit later Mm. and he moved around christian europe which had books um particularly he was in Constantinople. Okay. In a way that other other Vikings in our show didn't. So there, yeah. there's a historical accurate record of him, how he lived at the time, mm. uh, written by people of his era. One of my yeah. favorite. One of my favorite. There was a chronicler who describes him as the thunderbolt of the north. Mm. Uh, so so yeah. So I was I really enjoyed doing that homework, doing doing that bit of those history lessons to to get into the world. Sam, you know, the, the costumes, the settings, obviously some of them are in Ireland, so we're all very proud how well it looks, but there's a great level of detail in all this. And I gather that you're a pretty committed vegan and that your get-up, your armour, was all non-animal. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, at the start, um, the first costume was very um, truthful to uh, as it was. Like, um, mm-hmm. the first outfit was leather, and 
they had made that before I'd arrived. And so I spoke to Susan. I said, really appreciate your craftsmanship. I was wondering if we can do anything um, uh, that's more vegan. Um, and yeah, my last, in the last episode, the, the whole armor was made out of vegan leather, which was so like nice of them to do. And it was actually yeah. more, more malleable, which was like great to be able to move in. Okay, if only the Vikings had known back in the day, the, the yeah, world could, could, could have been a lot different. Yeah, Leo, yeah, people will have seen you in things like Sandition and, and all those kind of things and all. Is it true that you got offered your first acting role when you were 11 or you were signed your first contract when you were 11? Someone saw you on stage and they wanted to sign you up straight away or is that? John, I wish it were true, but no. That's the internet playing its games. I still have many years of, school and university to to slog through years of okay. amateur dramatics but okay uh, but yeah so so this 11 year old thing is just complete hyperbole on the internet then i guess yeah don't, don't believe everything you read on the internet that's, i know i keep forgetting that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i keep forgetting that uh, sam you said to me at the very start to was this your first time in ireland yeah we did our audition in ireland um uh, our, our test, our chemistry test, and then it was about four or five months later that we uh, started shooting there. And yeah, I, I cannot speak highly enough about my experience there. I have family there, both from okay. set and the crew. No, not not legitimate. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Family there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I stayed in the village of Greystones and um, okay. became very close with the happy pair and the whole. Okay. Whole people there and um they very much um while i was craving family they provided that for me well, that's nice to hear they're kind of ireland's leading vegan uh, proponents that the, the yeah. brothers and the happy birth and just finally for both of you you said a chemistry test I, I hear about these increasingly was that the two of you rehearsing together to see i guess what the chemistry was like yeah there's a mixture of um actors coming and we kind of just play opposite each other um, and and it's both witnessed by you know the showrunner Jeb Stewart and our director mm. Neil Nopleb to see how we feel and and just like um, playing out the synergy of of our characters and what we have to offer to them. Yeah, my well, moment of that chemistry test actually was was hitting golf balls with Sam into the sunset at the end of the day. So wow! If that's not chemistry, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was going to ask you another question, but that's a, that's a perfect place to end. The show's great, guys. Thanks a lot for talking to me. Thank you so much. Now, next I want to bring you my chat with Frida Gustafsson. She's a Swedish actress and she plays Fridas, who's actually the sister of Leif Erikson. She's fiery, headstrong. She's a staunch believer in the old gods and the pagan ways. And like her brother Leif, she reaches Kattegat, that's this Viking village or city, as an outsider, but soon becomes an inspiration to those of the old pagan ways. Now, the person in charge, the ruler of Kattegat, is Jarl Harkon, played by the Danish actor Caroline Henderson. She plays the pagan leader of Kattegat, and it's a city that's open to all fates in this changing time. Fascinating characterization, I have to say. Now, Caroline Henderson, who plays her, is actually a jazz singer as well as an actress. So here's my chat with Caroline Henderson and Frida Gustafsson. Frida, if I could start with you, what I like about the show is, you know, I've watched a lot of this kind of thing. And often, particularly in older shows, female characters weren't written properly. They were written almost like amendments to the male characters, whereas you guys have proper, proper characters and are just as important and have your own side stories. So Frida, was, was that a big appeal for you? I'm assuming it was. 
Yes, absolutely. And you're so right. For me, when I first got to read Freitas, I was blown away. It's so rare that you get a part like this. And uh, she's just so strong. You know, she's the active part. And it's so rare that you have, you know, a female character really driving the story forward that I feel Freitas really is in the first season. So for me, absolutely, that was what sold it to me. Yeah. And Caroline, in a way, your character's exactly the same. She's, I don't want to make you feel old, but she's almost the queen mother of, of, of Freda yeah. in a way. I presume yeah. that was a good part for you to get as well. Absolutely. It was so amazing. And it's, it was, she, she's like strong, fierce, loyal and wise. Mm. And yeah, that was amazing. And sort of, yeah. <laughs> And she wants there to be peace and order and wholeness. Like both, both of you seem like you want less violence than the men do, which is often the way. In yeah, life, which is quite contemporary of today, I believe yeah. myself. Yeah. No, she definitely, she is very modern in that sense. She wants to sort of make peace. Her city is open for everybody, all beliefs mm. and faiths, uh, which uh, rings a bell. For me as well yeah, personally sure. so i think it was very very inspiring to play the character especially yeah. with freddy's frida indeed and frida you know she, she's a pagan and she really believes in paganism and that's yeah. part of the journey and i i don't want to give any spoilers i mean do you what what do you think of the whole idea of paganism i know this was a thousand years ago <laughs> but... well you know i'm swedish so for me yeah. to play a, a character i in this sense, I feel like I really connected with something that, you know, was dormant way, way, way inside of me. When we mm. were filming these incredible scenes of the pagan rituals at the temple in Uppsala, it was like I traveled back in time without sounding too cheesy. It, it, it felt like I could really, really connect with it because it is a part of, you know, my, my country's history. Yeah. So, so I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was really interesting to you to, um, to play a character who has such a strong sense of belief. You and your brother are from Greenland in it, and you're seen as the edge of the known world. Do Swedish people look down on Greenland inhabitants generally, or is that just <laughs> right? writers well, it's thankfully that you asked that to me who's swedish and not a caroline yeah. you know who lives in denmark because that's a little bit more of a tricky political history uh, that is that's that's more <laughs> tricky but you go ahead and answer that one so i'll take it i'll take it uh, no absolutely not i think we have great respect for the people of greenland and i think in many ways because we you know greenland is in the arctic region we have arctic regions of sweden sure. i think we can understand the difficulties of having life there yeah. And um, I was actually flying over Greenland when I was coming to Los Angeles and I woke up and it was this bright, you know, pink sky. And it was like a magical sign, you know, for Freitas and for me that I feel oh, wow. really strangely connected to it. Well, you're really talking like a pagan now. This is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> and Caroline, I was just reading a small bit about you, but you're an incredibly successful singer and a jazz singer in particular. How do you end up you know, in something like this? Have you done a lot of acting? Is it kind of a hobby or is it part of what you do generally? I try to mix it, actually. I've done a lot of theater work, especially, and some movies and some television things. But mm -hmm. my first love is probably music, but I, I'm so fortunate I don't have to choose. I've been able to sort of, because it's like two very different things, although they're sort of very connected. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I have an agent and I've, you know, I just felt this part was so much part of me as well, because I am also Swedish. 
and uh, African-American and I live mm -hmm. in Denmark. I feel very connected to Scandinavia. So I, it's like I felt also uh, in a way sort of more thousand years back. So I can really relate to the character. Yeah. Yeah, super. And finally, then you talking to an Irishman, obviously. So you loved filming in Ireland, right? Yes. Yes, we yeah. did. Correct answer. We did. No, but we really did, Frida, yeah. didn't we? I mean, we spent we so it. much time together, you and me, hiking the hill, yeah, hiking, and, going and, we, and yeah, maybe drinking you know, the, the nature, the whole, everybody, the people. No, that was our actually. That was the moment because I can't even think about in COVID filming in COVID somewhere else. So that was sure. waking up and. To this beautifulness of the country that saved us it really okay. did yeah Good. well listen thank you both for talking to me it's lovely to meet you and the show is great thank you thank so you. much it was our pleasure. thanks a lot yes caroline henderson and frida gustafsson they're talking to me about their roles in vikings valhalla now the king of the vikings king canute is played by a welsh actor called bradley freeguard and it's his job to take this wild band of various Vikings to Britain and begin war and he certainly does he's a kind of curious fellow you're not sure about his motivations so I'm going to going to bring you my chat with Bradley and you're also going to hear me now talk to Johannes Johannesson the unusually named Johanna Johannesson and he plays Olaf Haraldsson who is kind of a brute in it he's the half brother to Harald Sigurdsson the prince of Norway and he's the first in line to become the next king of Norway and he's ambitious he's angry he will chop people's heads off anyway I had a chat with both the actors who play those roles here's my chat with Johannes and Bradley Bradley, if, if I can start with you, your character's fascinating. Uh, I wasn't sure of his motivations with every continuing episode, you know. Was he a good guy who wanted the betterment of a Viking world? Was he a power-hungry kind of dude? Or was he all sorts of those things? How, how do you see him? It's a good question. Oh, I'm glad I asked it. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad you asked it too. Um, and, and the answer's forthcoming. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a good question because I think that is because you've you've kind of um, hit the nail on the head as to Canute's uh, um, raison d'être, if you like, uh, throughout the show uh, in season one. Anyway, is that um, he's keeping his cards close to his chest, and he's got a couple of aces up his sleeve actually, mm. and uh, he only he only shows his hand when necessary when uh he needs to flex his 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 muscles um political wise or or to show you know his strength um then he does but otherwise i think he is quite and and quite cleverly so quite a guarded um uh ruler what, what i mean by that is he doesn't go around you know shouting and stomping and 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 you know chopping heads off willy-nilly yeah but yeah, yeah. um when he needs to um he uh, he can he can turn uh, a great wealth of power against his enemies yeah johannes talking of chopping heads off you can chop heads off at wild abandon it seems but also though your character he's smarter as the show goes on as well and, and there's more to him than you might think because he presents as a brute and he is quite brutish but the more you see of him you realize he knows what side his bread is buttered or, or whatever was that your sense of him i mean i presume he was a thrill to play in that way Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, his motives become 
clearer and clearer as the the, the show progresses. And uh, I mean, like a lot of guys back then, he's uh, he seems to be fixated on power and gaining control. And you sort of, as an actor, you sort of have to look at, like, why? Why do they need all this power? And uh, it really boils down to, for me, that it's just a, he needs it to survive. And what he really needs isn't power. He just needs a hug. <laughs> and if he was connected with his emotional self, he would just say that. And he could hug it out with Canute, and uh, they could both live their lives happily. But that doesn't seem to be the case. No, no, it probably makes for less drama, I suppose. Uh, Bradley, you're Welsh, uh, and I, I assumed by your surname that you were Norwegian or Danish, or what's what's your background in terms of Scandinavia? Do you have roots up there, or you, you're Welsh? That's all that but... matters. That's all that matters. He's going to have a dig about the rugby now, I just know you. No, no, let's, please, let's not get into rugby. I, you're talking to the wrong man. No, I was just going to say, but your surname strikes me that there may be some Scandinavian in there as well, is there? It's French, Frigard, yeah, it's a, ah, okay, a Breton okay. name. And of course, the Bretons have a very close relationship um, with the Welsh being the sort of Welsh being the last or the country that wasn't conquered by, um, you know, uh, lots of of, uh, shall we say, invading forces. Um, yeah. And so the last part of what was Britain and Breton, they're very close in, in you know, in Northern France. Um, it basically- sure it it's comes, French. It's, it looks very Norwegian. Frey Yeah, that's yeah, what well, I thought. No, but, do you yeah. know what, it, it, it's, it's very simple. Um, uh, the, um, the, its meaning is, is that uh, when um, the, the local armies would, or the local uh, militia would, go off to, to defend or fight um, uh, uh, people who were invaded, they enlisted the free men of the town or village um, wow. into a sort of territorial army role, and they called them the free guards. Oh. Wow, okay. That's wow. It. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, there's, there's some circularity there and Vikings, maybe. Johannes, I gather that you were in uh, uh, Eurovision Fire Saga, the Song of Fire and Ice. Wow. Uh, and I was I was on the junket for that, however many years ago it was. And I spoke to Will and all that. Was that a lot of fun, this American who wanted to make a, a, a European movie about the Eurovision Song Contest, which again, like rugby, is huge in Ireland. We've won it more than yeah. anyone else. I presume that was yes, a Yes, you have. I remember when you dominated the thing with Johnny Logan. He just, he yes. just couldn't lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we take we take uh, Eurovision very seriously in Iceland. A, a lot of the small countries do, like Malta. Uh, so, that, I mean, it was uh, it was great. Uh, I mean, Iceland, they film a lot of stuff here. But yeah. whenever Iceland gets to be Iceland is not mm. doubling for something else. It's always yeah. quite exciting. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We also filmed bits of it in, in London. So there was a free trip to London involved, which was nice as well. So, yeah, mm. it was real. It was great. Yeah, Hello. super. Well, great. Well, I better wrap this. I'm sorry we spoke about rugby and the Eurovision as much as we did, but I, I, I'm sure you, you don't mind. The, the show is great, though, and it's really entertaining stuff. So thanks for talking to me, guys. Thanks, Thank John. You, John. Bradley Freeguard there and Johannes Johannesson talking to me about their roles in Vikings Valhalla and, of course, rugby and Johnny Logan and the Eurovision. 
And Vikings Valhalla is now on Netflix to stream for your viewing pleasure. Now, we have a competition this week. Death on the Nile is still in cinemas, the Kenneth Branagh version, and it's doing very well. And Mark Ryle gave it a very good review, said it was fine kind of Sunday TV watching, even though it's a movie in the cinema. I think you know what I mean. He really enjoyed it. We have a goodie bag. So a Death on the Nile tote bag, a Death on the Nile notebook, and a paperback copy of the book that it's based on, of course, by Agatha Christie, and that's courtesy of Harper Collins. We four goodie bags to give away for the Death on the Nile, courtesy of Disney. The Kenneth Branagh directed version, as I say, is now in cinemas. If you would like to win this goodie bag, simply text the word Nile, followed by your name, to 53106, or you can email the word Nile, N-I-L-E, to screentime at newstalk.com, and the lovely Anne-Marie Kane will pick a winner. Up next, Mark Ryle on the week's new releases. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and movie show. We turn to the week's new releases, which this week include Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren in The Duke, or The Duke, I should say. I'm not American, although some people say I sound like one at times. And the Foo Fighters, who are very much American, in their feature debut, Studio 666. More of that, Arnon. Mark Ryle was away last week preparing himself for the spring slate of movies or something like that. Mark, how are you? It was, a, it was a full moon, and it's just yeah. best that I'm not around people. Yeah, he's hoarse from the howling, but uh, he's recovered. Listen, let's start with The Duke. Uh, this is based on a true story, and in a way, you know, if it was a work of fiction, you mightn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's one, <laughs> it is one of those. You, you give it a, a bit of slack because it's based on uh, true events from um, back in 1961, I believe. Uh, Jim Broadbent plays Kempton Bunton. And he is accused of stealing a Goya painting worth 140 grand in 1960s money from uh, London's National Gallery. And yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say as well, he's kind of, if he has done this, it's not out of the ordinary because he's regularly picketing the government on stuff like he doesn't want to pay his TV license because he's yeah. an OAP and he's written plays that have never seen the light of day. And he's exactly, a yeah. quirky fellow with he is. slightly agitation. He is, he's intelligent and he's very charming and he's an amateur playwright, as you said, and he is intermittently employed. Um, but he did make a career out of yeah crusading for various civic issues and causes, much to the despair of his long-suffering wife, who's played by Helen Mirren. And one of those uh, crusades was for free TV licenses for the OAPs. And then mm-hmm. when this Goya painting comes into his possession, he decides to use it as leverage to have the TV license scraps, but needless to say, things don't go according to plan. Indeed, they don't. Now, I guess let's get to the end. First of all, we can talk a bit around it, but but I just want to know, because I've seen this as well. Did you enjoy this? Because I kind of did. I think it's a lovely little movie. Yeah, yeah. You're getting into aim and dumpy territory. Lovely little movie, but (laughs) oh well, that was unintentional. It's 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 quite old fashioned and and twee and slight. But I don't mean any of that to sound disparaging at all, because Mm. I don't think there's there's nothing wrong with tweeness if it's intentional. Um, and I think the Duke is it's it's charming. It's a neat little story, and it never really moves into any difficult areas. And there's Mm. never really any doubt that everything is going to be wrapped up neatly. Um. And I think although the movie does dabble a little with class division and the injustice of social disadvantage, mm. it's not really concerned with any of that beyond paying lip service. And although it's, it is it is these things, those issues that, that drive and motivate Bunton, they're not really explored in any depth, which is fine. 
Yeah, it's more a jolly little tale. And again, I also mean that in a non-patronising way. Uh, Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren, I thought they were suitably lovely as the crusading husband and the long-suffering wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're, they're great. I mean, I would always consider Broadbent to be, he's a very accomplished accomplished character actor. And he, he usually provides an elegant, dignified backup, but not really carrying a movie by himself but carry this he does mm. and he he's genuinely very funny and the duke relies a lot on broadbent's charm and he plays off the the friction with with mirren which is you know it's it's a pleasure and the dialogue is also very good and some of broadbent's one-liners they're they're just a delight yeah they are and i also like the newcastle setting the Nuki Brown Ale, and it's, again, maybe a bit twee, but just that portrait of a working-class area, you know, before the swinging 60s really kicked in yeah, in yeah. the north of England. I thought that was nicely done as well. It, it's grim up north. It's, it's, I'd say it's aimed definitely for an older demographic, and, and like you said, it's like the, the Newcastle setting, there's, there's, there's more than a little bit of the old-fashioned dealing comedy in this, and it, it, there, there's this snazzy split-screen screen graphics and the jazzy score that kind of would suggest the Thomas Crown Affair or Ocean's mm. Eleven, but it's not suggested with a straight face. It's all done very tongue-in-cheek, and um, yeah, it's 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 you know it's it's gritty. Yeah, and and like we were saying there, you know, it's a charming little movie, but it's also a smart little movie as well. It's quite clever at times in in, in the ways you say, like the split screen and poking fun at itself nearly. It is. It's a neat story. Um, yeah. That's the best way I would I'd describe it. It's, it's a it's good Sunday night viewing. Um, the, 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 there's a few odd things. Obviously, I hate to sound ages, but I don't think Broadbent and Mirren are, they seem to be about 20 years older than the roles that they're playing. The, the, the Buntons have a son, uh, that's played by uh, uh, Fionn Whitehead from from Dunkirk. Um, mm. He's I think he's in his early twenties, and the the maths just does not add no, up. No. Um, having said that, <laughs> um, I think that there's also there's big chunks of this missing. Two of the key characters just completely disappear after a certain plot point has been dealt with, um, and they're never heard from again, which seems mm. a bit odd. Um, and then this other another character shows up, and he literally does nothing apart from introduce himself. <laughs> He's Matthew Good, yes. who's playing Button's barrister, and he has this junior counsel with him. And literally, all he does is come in and introduce who he is, and he's yeah. never heard of or referenced for the rest of the movie. So, I wouldn't be surprised if there was bits of this that was left on the cutting room floor. But I, it's it's a it's a it's a nice it's a nice little easygoing movie. Yes, no, it is. Uh, the key words here are nice and little because we keep yeah. repeating them. So what would you say stars wise for the Duke? Um, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Yeah, I think that's about right. Let's take yeah. a quick clip of the Duke. Will the defendant please stand? Kempton Bunton, you were charged that on the 21st of March 1961, you stole from the National Gallery a priceless portrait of the Duke of Wellington by Francisco Jose de Goya. Not very good, is it? We're convinced that the Goya has been stolen by a highly professional international criminal gang. Mind your boomers! Almost certainly a trained commando. You all right? Bitter biscuit. One problem. What's that? Your mother. I can explain. I'm shaking. It's the shock. 
Shock, yes, I'm shocked there's a stolen masterpiece in my wardrobe. That's a clip of The Duke there, which is now in cinemas from this Friday, the 25th of February. Mark gave it three and a half, as did I. Now, Mark, something very different, and I'm still kind of mm. scratching my head about it, uh, not that I thought it was all bad, is the Foo Fighters playing themselves in a movie about recording an album, and it's called Studio 666. And I should say, this isn't a documentary. I may have led you to believe that, but listeners, but this is very much a fiction or fictionalized well no a fiction movie uh with the Foo Fighters Mark what's going on here it's one of those what did I just see kind of things, yeah I know <laughs> big time big time I'm still reeling yeah. from it it's it's a it's a bizarre prospect uh, having said that it is a very simple setup basically the Foo Fighters move into a haunted house to record their new album and Dave Grohl becomes possessed by the evil spirits of one of the house's former residents and uh, shenanigans ensue. That's pretty much it. It's it's a Foo Fighters movie, um, and yeah, it's but but it gets quite schlock horrory as well. At times. It's a it's a horror comedy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it's quite, you know, there's nasty bits in it. Like, you know, people are complaining about the violence in the Chainsaw Massacre at the moment. It's quite violent in places, I thought. It is. Um, I Yeah, I, I, I don't think I enjoyed this as much as the band obviously enjoyed making it. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that it made me laugh more than once, so it's not a complete waste of time. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what I liked about it was there's moments where Dave Grawl is they're just trying to be funny rock stars and they're almost saying, isn't this so funny? We decided to make a movie kind of. And yeah. like he regularly says, don't you know I'm Dave Grawl? Yeah, it's, 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 I think what it, what ultimately it's obviously a, a vanity project and it's kind of a big budget home movie. Um, having said all that, I think it's odd that there is hardly any Foo Fighters music in it. Mm -hmm. um, it's we, these things used to be quite common. I mean, obviously a hard day's night would be the forefather but it's very it's not like you don't see bands doing these narrative movies anymore no um i mean they, they i'm not saying that they used to be popular but they weren't uncommon with stuff like you know the ramones and rock and roll high school and, yeah. and the clash and rude boy but you know generally musicians aren't called upon for their acting abilities no <laughs> and and dave Grohl is I, I i think he's the the tom hanks of rock he's generally accepted to be the nicest guy in music mm, so yeah Yes, he's 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 very charming, but can he act? Well, in all honesty, yes, he can. He's and he's actually rather good, and he's he's very funny. Um, unfortunately, he's not on his own, and the rest of the band do an awful lot of standing around and nodding. It yeah. is the best way to describe it. Yeah, the keyboard player I thought was quite funny as the, the classic I, as I'm the classic Lothario yeah. rock star. Had, I think he took his shirt off and he has a love heart shaped into his chest hair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, he was probably the best of, a, of, of, of I'm not going to say a bad bunch, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's patchy. Um, there is a, there's a celebrity cameo that's, that's so unexpected and out of left field that you can't help but, but laugh. But I think it does fall into that trap of most horror comedies that it's not enough for one thing or the other. Mm. Um, it's not funny enough, often enough for a comedy and it's not scary enough for a horror. Yeah. Um, although, having said that, Grohl, who I, Grohl, I think Dave Grohl wrote the story. Somebody else wrote the script, um, and the director B.J. McConnell. They do, you know, wear their influences very proudly on their sleeve. And there's plenty of nods to stuff like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and um, John Carpenter as well. In fact, John Carpenter shows up as a sound engineer, and he also composed the theme song. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just Dave Grohl uh, living out his fantasies. 
Yeah, and there's also nods to Spinal Tap, I guess, in in lots of ways as well. well how can there not be? Yeah, exactly, exactly. This movie definitely has an eleven button. Uh, the thing is, though, I mean, in fairness to them, you know, they're not trying to win an Oscar for this. No, uh, it no, may no. be a vanity project, but at times like you, I did laugh. That cameo. We won't say who it involves because it will no. be a spoiler, but yeah. Dave Grohl is sitting at a piano singing a famous piano ballad, and that made me laugh a lot, I have to say. But it was it was more as it went on. It was just like, uh, I'd rather they just maybe tried to make jokes about being in the Foo Fighters as opposed to turning it into some kind of horror movie. Exactly, know? exactly. Yeah. I, think, I, I think it does probably hold a little bit of appeal, if even if you're not a diehard Foo Fighters fan, but I think exactly how much of that is debatable and mm. definitely at a certain point it outstays its welcome and i think where that point is will probably be different for me than it is for you but i mm. started to lose interest at around the hour mark yeah me too yeah um the yeah. goofy humor is it's overtaken by this this daft story and yeah i think it's something that might have worked well as a short but yeah. as a feature length movie it's really stretched very thin yeah, like they could have released it as a video or something nearly. They could know? have done something like that, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't know when to quit. The last 30 minutes just seem to last for an eternity. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So what would you say, stars-wise, for Studio 666? I'm going to give it a generous two and a half. Yeah, God, I, I think I'm on the right, exact same page as this week. It's a yeah. curiosity, you know? It's not without some small charm, but it's it is. it's not brilliant. I don't think you'd be racing home to watch it. So that's yeah. two and a half for both me and Mark for Studio 666. That's the number of the beast, of course, not to be mistaken with the Iron Maiden album. It's just a statement of fact from the Book of Revelation. 666 is the number of the beast. And it's used a lot in rock and roll or heavy metal, we should say. So anyway, I'm going down some weird tangent here. It is in cinemas from this Friday, the 25th of February. From our very own Prince of Darkness, Mark Ryle, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Talk to you next week. Up next, musician Emma Langford on her favourite movie. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone about their favourite movie. Now, I want to tell you a really quick story by way of introduction. About four years ago, I was tasked with organising a radio show from the Hunt Museum in Limerick. About three days from the off, I realised we didn't have a musician. Someone sent me a link. It was a young singer. I thought, she sounds good. Let's do that. Saturday morning arrived. The show went really well. A musician came on right at the end. The show had gone well. I was sitting there thinking about the drive home seeing the kids then I got hairs on the back of my neck when the singer sang a song the singer in question was Emma Langford I've been a massive fan ever since and I'm delighted she finally said yes after three years to talk to me about her favorite movie Emma how are you (laughs) I can't believe that was just four years ago that we did like that feels like an entire lifetime ago It does indeed. And much has happened. And your star has risen considerably since then. We'll get into that. But listen, your movie choice, it's it's great. And this, I never lie, right? I've seen a lot of movies, Mm. but I've never actually seen this, much to my shame. So will you tell our listeners what your favourite movie is? Yeah, my favourite movie is something of a creature comfort. I saw it about... Oh God, maybe 10 years ago for the first time. It's called Across the Universe and it is a jukebox musical, basically, where the songs of the Beatles, so Across the Universe being one of the songs by the Beatles, um, songs of the Beatles are used to sort of move the plot of the film along. The cast are an all singing, all dancing, incredible group of people. Ivan Rachel Wood among them, who is one of my favourite actresses. And uh, it's set in the late 60s, around the time of the Vietnam War, and everyone gets dragged into all of the stuff 
stuff that happened in the 60s all of the kind of the psychedelic phase and and all of that kind of stuff um eddie Izzard is in the film you've just got this incredible cast who are phenomenal musicians and singers and it's brilliant fun and it's got some lovely deep poignant melancholic moments as well where you know lives intersect and fall apart and it's just for me as a huge Beatles fan when I saw it first it hit all the right notes so to speak and uh, ever since it's just been one I come back to whenever I want to just get lost in a gorgeous story with gorgeous visuals and gorgeous music. Yeah so and do you have to be because I'm a Beatles nut so this Mm. is terrible that I haven't seen this and and like there have been Beatles movie before it's like yesterday from two years ago which you know left me slightly cold I have to say do you have to be a Beatles nut or fan to enjoy this? I wouldn't say so no I mean if you're a musical fan uh, if you're not a musical fan you might not enjoy it although I mean it's by Julie Taymor and she is she's directed it and she is just she's got such a visual mind so you know there's there's kind of something for everyone in there at the same time um okay it's yeah it's great for Beatles nuts it's great for musical nuts it's great for film buffs um great acting in there like it's no you know there's nothing in there that's that's left a bit too thin you know that Mm. uh, that suffers yeah because they want to squeeze in another Beatles song you know everything kind of is boosted by everything else and is there a love story at the heart of this I just always think with Beatles there must be some kind of man and woman thing in there but maybe there isn't there is actually, yeah. There's there's a, a man and woman story. There's uh, I think there's a, a same sex relationship there as okay. well. There's all these really beautiful little romantic stories, which you know was part of the '60s as well. So you couldn't have a '60s film without there being a bit of romance in there. No. So yeah, romance definitely comes into it in a big way. But I mean, it deals with, as I say, the Vietnam War, with uh, psychedelia and uh, that kind of side of like the drug side of the sixties and fashion and performance. And there's some kind of live performance of songs as well, because a lot of the characters are actually musicians in the film as, as the characters. So you get to see a little bit of everything and you get to see like stuff that was, let's say in New York, the the big names, the big characters, the big places that would have featured in the sixties are all in there, which is really cool for anyone who's of that era and would like to little, have a little throwback to that as well. And so, do you remember the first time you saw it? I I do. I remember I was in my undergrad, so it would have been sometime between 2008-2010, and I was in my, my college house uh, with a couple of friends who were both big beetle nuts as well, and uh, they introduced me to the film. And I just remember, like, not only was it like, you know, the music was brilliant and the film is brilliant there's all these little easter eggs as well in there so if you Mm. are into the Beatles or if you know a bit about the 60s or you know who the characters are referencing um like there's one character that's basically uh meant to be Janis Joplin and another is meant to be Jimi Hendrix and all these like really cool moments that when I was like a college student I was like oh my god that's so cool I know who that is meant to be (laughs) and uh you know it's there's some cool moments like that so I guess I've got that nostalgia to it as well of having seen it during a time in my life when I was just discovering music myself yeah. um, so it's got that going for it too yeah well listen I'm definitely going to have to watch this and as I say it's to my shame that I haven't across the universe the favourite movie of Emma Langford I talk to musicians in this slot regularly enough and, and I can't help but ask Covid you know venues were closed the world shut down musicians comedians certain artists felt it more acutely than others how were the last two years for you? I feel dirty saying it, but I actually had a pretty good two years. I mean, aside from, you know, the shared, obvious, you know, kind of trauma that everyone experienced of 
an entire, you know, life change and a sort of a paradigm shift <laughs> globally. Mm. Um, and I lost people that I, I really, you know, love dearly as well. And that was, you know, not great. But um, in terms of professionally, I found a kind of a way to sort of take a step back and mm-hmm. reevaluate things. And I actually, I really, I really value the past couple of years for that, for that opportunity to do so and got a chance to collaborate with people. I wouldn't have gotten a chance to collaborate mm-hmm. with otherwise because everything got moved online. So, um, so it was, it was good that way. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've no regrets about the, the connections I got to make, which okay. um, I would never have made otherwise. So. Very good. Well, that's that's a sanguine view of it in some ways. Tell me this. Uh, you've been on The Late Late once or twice. The most recent appearance, you did this spine tingling. Again, I use the word spine tingling the first time I saw you, but particularly poignant version of The Winding Way Down to Kells Bay, your song, uh, in tribute to the sadly departed and tragically departed Ashling Murphy that kind of galvanized the nation. How... How did that come about and how was it to to do that that night? Um, I suppose I had been fairly vocal online about how much the the incident had touched so many people. Um, and on the, the night of the show, just before the show was about to go ahead that evening, uh, Ryan and the show producer had been sitting down talking about what they might do that night to pay tribute to her and to, I suppose, talk about the issue at large. And I got a call. I was in at the vigil in Limerick in people in Arthur's Key Park and got the call and was asked if I could come up and play something of my own as a tribute to Ashling. They wanted someone who, in, in their own words, was a strong female voice mm-hmm. willing to talk about the issue and also perform. So hopped in the car. Well, my fiance hopped in the car and I hopped in next to him and uh, spun up the road and chose that song. I suppose Kells Bay isn't directly about it's not it's not explicitly about uh grief sure or loss but it, it the story of the song uh came from my own sad loss of a family member and it was a tribute to community and to collective grief and to the comfort and the solace we can find in each other when those things happen and so on the night and because as well it's it's a, a little homage to traditional irish music and ashling was a traditional irish musician a really mm-hmm. really beautifully talented one uh, i wanted to do something that kind of was a tip of the hat to that as well so so yeah i went for that and did not breathe for the entire performance yeah. i don't think i've ever been as nervous in my life um but uh, people seemed to connect with it and to uh, understand what I was getting at, which was lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And it is up there online because I, I watched it again this morning. And to call it poignant, it doesn't really do it justice. Uh, so listen, outside of that, then the world is opening up again. You will be on the road again, uh, even though you enjoyed the last two years. I'm sure you're looking forward to gigging in front of audiences again. Where can people catch you in the coming times? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on the road now for the next couple of months. I'm doing kind of at most two shows a month if I can help it because I'm writing as well at the moment. Um, and these these will be songs for your third album, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm working towards my next well either EP or a couple okay. of EPs or album yeah. it depends. There's a project in in the pipeline at the moment around women in Irish history so I'm working on that. Um the next kind of gig is Drada on the 11th of March and that's completely sold out, which is wonderful. Yeah. And following that then List Unvarna on the 20th of March. So if folks want to come along to that that would be wonderful and uh 
Roscommon and oh gosh I'm going to be all over the place basically right. so uh, best bet for people would be to come to uh, emmalangfordmusic.com forward slash tour and I have all my listings there so fantastic and look there's no point me telling you I'm a big fan because you know that already but I would urge other people to check out your music because you have a unique singing voice and a unique songwriting style you really do her favourite movie is Across the Universe Emma Langford thank you very much thanks John I sometimes feel you're not telling me everything I just need a break from the yard Molly I'll be back before you know it what do you need a break from me is that what this is about Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you And remember I'll always be true For the other one <laughs> And then while I'm away I'll write home every day You better a clip there of Across the Universe, the Beatles-inspired movie, which I had never seen and still have never seen, but will get to it at some stage. And that was the favourite movie choice of Emma Langford. And my thanks to Emma for talking to me. Do check out Emma Langford. As you could hear from my interview with her there, I think she's just an amazing singer-songwriter. That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. Just to remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. I'm open all week long on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at Newstalk.com. Next week on the show, very excited about this, The Batman is coming to cinemas, and I'm going to be talking to the man who plays the Riddler, Paul Dan and the man who plays Commissioner Gordon well he's not quite Commissioner in this one Geoffrey Wright two great actors and as if all that wasn't enough the great Irish actor Mo Dumford on his new movie so I'm very excited about next week's show do tune in stay safe and take care